Hello, everybody. My name is Nkozi, and welcome to the Two Sides of a Coin podcast. This week, we're going to talk about three movies, two that have already come out, one that will come out wide in theaters the Friday of this podcast being dropped. First movie we're going to talk about is A24's latest Australian export in Talk to Me. Next movie we're going to talk about is a little movie called Last Voyage of the Demeter, the latest Dracula movie that comes out this year. Finally, we're going to talk about the movie that we'll be releasing in wide this coming Friday, and that is Gran Turismo, the movie based off of the game, but is actually based on a true story in regards to a person that played the game and became a real race car driver. So, let's get into it. Well, you can't keep a good vampire down, as the phrase would say. Dracula is one of the most famous vampires of all time. In fact, he's so famous that he already had another movie this year where we're talking about Renfield, which had to deal with Dracula's servant, although Nick Cage, who played Dracula in that movie, was heavily featured as well. Now, we get a second Dracula movie in the same year, months apart, with this movie, Last Voyage of the Demeter. And honestly, this thing has success written all over it. You have a really good cast who's headed up by not only Corey Hawkins, a guy who most people remember from Straight Outta Compton, very good actor. You also have not one, but two former Game of Thrones actors on here in Isling Francesca and Liam Cunningham. This cast is stacked. This is made off of the book Dracula. Off of the voyage from Dracula from the old world to London. This has every single hallmark of it being not only an interesting story. But also a really good and fun horror movie that's encapsulated in a very small area. The blueprint is all here for Last Voyage of the Demeter. So let's let's jump into it and let's see if it's able to live up to that expectation. So as I mentioned earlier, Last Voyage of the Demeter is based off of the book Dracula. And in the very beginning of the movie, they will let you know that it's based off of a single chapter in the book, the Demeter in the book, which is. A single chapter in the book Dracula, which is about Dracula's voyage to the Demeter. And that chapter is interesting simply because that chapter Dracula is not writing. That is the writing in that book of the captain who is doing his captain's log. And people are reading his his log as the trip is going on. It's... If you read the book, it's actually really interesting the way it's done. How it starts out 
with very high hopes and it ends on very low notes. So honestly, when they do that, they then go in the beginning of the movie and they're showing that the Demeter has crash landed and they're reading the captain's log. And as they are reading the captain's log, it does a flashback to the Demeter when it's docked in Dracula's home country. And from there, you meet the main cast. You meet Liam Cunningham, who is Captain Elliot. He's the captain of the Demeter, his ship. Then you have uh, David Dashmalachan, who's Wojcik, the Demeter's first hand. And if you know about that actor, he's actually been in a lot of stuff. He's a really good character actor. I really like his work. You probably know him as one of the three thieves that were a part of Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. That is more from what a lot of people would recognize him. However, he's done a lot of character work. So he's he is a real working man's actor. Then you are introduced to the ship's doctor or its prospective doctor in Corey Hawkins. Now, if you remember Corey Hawkins, he was playing Dr. Dre in Straight Outta Compton. And in this movie, you actually hear his British accent, which I have to say was a little surprising. Not really. I knew he was British. I did not realize he was British. It's kind of like the Idris Elba situation where even though I know he was British in The Wire, because he's able to pull that American accent so well to hear his actual accent was, you know, a little jarring but only for a half second. He is the Demeter ship's doctor and he's trying to get back to England. And then you have the rest of the crew. They're also just all trying to get back to England. They don't really care about this. They're taking some private cargo. They're just thinking, hey, this private cargo, we're gonna make some extra money off this and then we're all gonna go and live our lives. After that, strange things start happening. People start ending up dead, and the voyage of the Demeter goes from being a nice, uneventful tale of a crew making some extra money to a horror story about people trying to survive while this threat that they have no idea is among them is just picking them off one by one. Now, me describing all that, that sounds exciting. And I have to say, I would think it would be exciting just from the description too. It is not. <laughs> it's not exciting. I'm, I'm going to get more into it, but this movie is a massive letdown on, on so many fronts. Yet, it's a movie that you rarely see. Where individually the parts are good. Together the parts are really bad. But let's let me let me expound on it more so that way you understand. So let's start from the top. The acting. The actors in the top spot. You have Corey Hawkins, ship's docker. You have Liam Cunningham, ship's captain. Eventually in this movie, you're gonna be introduced to Isling Francesca's character, Anna, who's a stowaway. And 
who she's a stowaway for, which obviously is going to be Dracula. Now, with this story, you would think that these people are bad if I'm saying the movie is bad. And this is the interesting thing about this movie. All these actors, and I would say pretty much every single one, bar one actor, they're all good. They're not doing bad work. They are all doing solid work in a movie. If you asked for the quality of acting that you're getting in this movie and you get that on a consistent basis, no director would be unhappy with this. It's amazing to me when I look at this film because I, I looked at it and I said, the actors are doing okay. They're not overacting. They're not underact. They're not underselling the situation. You could tell the mounting tension that's happening with all of these people. You can tell when people are just scared and unsure and they're being driven by either fear or zealotry or bigotry. You, all of these things are coming through very well. There is no understated uh, performance. There is no overstated performance. So I could calmly say every single one of these actors did not do a bad job. The setting, the set design, that was all nice as well. I liked the ship, the Demeter, where you're primarily going to take your movie in. I really liked the Demeter. I liked the way they use the ship, how there's a lot of knocking on the ship. Early on, you're introduced to this idea that since it's a wooden ship, you knock on any part of the ship, anybody can hear it on the ship from bow to stern. I actually like that. The ship played such an interesting part, and since it's a enclosed area, there's only so much that's available and that you can see. So the simple fact that they're like, hey, we can't find this thing that's hurting us. The ship is only so big. Where the heck can it be? We're searching everywhere and we still can't find it is honestly really interesting and really scary from an outside perspective because you are trapped with the thing that's actively killing you in a location where you cannot easily get away. If this were a cabin in the middle of nowhere, you could say, well, we're going to take our chances and we're just going to go out into the wilderness and move. You can make your chances. You can take your chances with that. This is a ship in the middle of the ocean. No land in sight. There's nowhere where they can just port, go to port and just not worry about it. So honestly, I, I was happy with the ship. I was happy with the cast. I was happy with, honestly, I was happy with almost everything in this movie. So why did I have a bad experience? I really had to dig deep into what I was feeling and what I was seeing to try and understand that. And the part that really struck me is the script is well written. It is so boring. It, it really is. This script seems like it came from somebody who 
thought they were writing uh, Pride and Prejudice when really they were writing a horror movie which should be not a little bit fun. It should be way more scary and it should be a lot more, you know, emotionally draining for all of the characters in this movie. So it had a lot of words. There was a lot of talking. And while the cast was trying to convey what was said in the script, the script did not properly help the cast convey the situation. There were only very few moments where the cast was getting up in arms. Honestly, this probably would have been better if you would have had open mutinies on the ship. You would have had them turn against each other in way more of a fearful manner. But mostly, I would say this is the best mannered uh, ship's crew I've ever seen in a horror movie. Like halfway through, the ship should have like splintered in terms of factions. And it didn't seem like it. it seemed like everybody just kind of stayed together, which I think probably took away the tension that could have been there it kind of reminded me of and this is my nerd flag flying the first couple seasons of the show uh star trek the next generation the creator of star trek gene roddenberry was still in control of the series and he had in his rules that there really couldn't be any interpersonal problems amongst the crew So all of their problems had to be external, not internal to the actual crew or Starfleet in general. With that happening, it limited the amount of stories that the team could tell. Now that led to some good stories. It also led to it being much harder for there to be real tension moments in there. For there to be real tense moments in there. So that's the only thing I could think with this script. Because you had the crew stick together so much. And have such little actual infighting be shown both on the screen and also in the dialogue. It really felt like it was the crew against Dracula. When it should have been the crew versus crew versus Dracula. Think about it kind of like Game of Thrones, where two of these actors came from. In Game of Thrones, it wasn't everyone against the White Walkers. It was everyone against each other, and the White Walkers were against all of them, which added this extra bit of tension in that all of your problems aren't really going to matter when the White Walkers come and just mop you guys up. It was this constant dread that hung over the series which helped immensely in terms of the fear you felt for characters because even if it wasn't oh i didn't necessarily like that person it was every single death at the end of the day is only going to make the white walkers job of destroying this world easier and you did not get that with this movie so i felt that was a big missed opportunity the, the second missed opportunity was Dracula. Now, I know that this might seem like 
a hot take because we've seen many takes about Dracula. This Dracula was both the one of the more brutal Draculas that you saw. And also he was one of the most playful in a weird way. Like at a certain point in this movie, I would say close to the halfway point, this movie just becomes like, and I wrote this after my review. I said, this movie becomes Dracula's dine-in theater on the ocean. Seriously, this movie became Dracula is just kind of hanging out. Nobody has any chance to stop Dracula. So he's not going to just kill you in a very quiet manner. Dracula's going to have fun. Dracula's going to mess with you. Dracula's going to say, up, oh, I'm going to pop up and then I'm going to disappear. Up, oh, I'm going to do this and then I'm just going to fly away. Up, oh, you're trying to get away from the ship? Nope. Dracula's just going to come down and be like, hey man, how's it going? And it, it also doesn't help that even though I'm saying all of these things, Dracula really doesn't talk in this movie. He is quiet. He's brutal, which can be a little surprising. Honestly, it just felt sloppy. You just wondered from all the from all the depictions that you've seen of Dracula. It's not that Dracula can't be brutal that made Dracula so intriguing and interesting. It's that Dracula, while he can be brutal, he can be a hundred percent, you know, violent. It was the fact that he is also so interesting in how he talks. Dracula is incredibly charming at times. And we saw none of that charm here. This was full on, I'm going to hurt people, Dracula. This felt like, hey, Dracula is taking a vacation. I don't want to talk with anybody. I just want to kill people. I just want to kill people. I want to turn people into vampires. I'm going to do my thing because when I get to London, that's when I'll be charming. Right now, I'm just going to be a brutal, brutal weapon. And I think that took away from the movie a large part. Just because when you saw Dracula, it wasn't, oh, Dracula can cause some stuff on the ship. It was Dracula swoops in, hurts somebody, leaves. And that's pretty much it. That's all he does. And I mean, he doesn't he doesn't hesitate, which is nice. But outside of that, he's just it was boring ignoring one side of him just to fully embrace the other. Also, the CGI wasn't great when they had to use it. So Dracula's model, I didn't necessarily love. It looked very rubbery. Like, it, it looked like he was wearing a rubber suit, which when you have a fully CGI character, does not look great. It doesn't look great. Some of the effects were nice, but it it really didn't look that great, especially when it, Dracula was fully lit up in terms of you saw his full being. The final thing I really didn't like about the movie is the ending. I'm not going to tell you what the ending is. But it felt like such a major 
cop-out because they're trying to lead to if this movie does well we can potentially do a sequel i don't want a sequel of this movie this was the bad movie to do a sequel with just you put the cart before the horse the horse hasn't even gotten out of the stable yet but honestly my final thing is this you can be ambitious and miss the mark in terms of being a movie that's fine you can play it safe and hit the mark that's that's also fine you can be an okay movie with little action that's a drama that's great you could be an okay movie with a lot of action that's great you can't be a boring movie with little action and a long movie at that this movie's almost two hours that's like 30 minutes longer than it needed to be. This should have been a tight 90-minute movie. And that would have been, mwah, that would have been great. So, in conclusion, I would say if you want to see a story about the last voyage of the Demeter, there is a better story that I think is even shorter than this, and that is the episode in the latest BBC interpretation of dracula where dracula is on the demeter that is a better version of this movie than this movie it's better told it makes more sense and the dread and the the dread everything about dracula just is a better better story so i will i will leave it here if you guys like the movie, please let me know. I just want to know why. But I really didn't like this movie. This is a medium fast food for me at best. Go spend your money elsewhere. But please tell me what you liked about this movie. Or if you didn't like the movie, tell me what you didn't like about the movie. Because I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to think. And yeah, let's go into our next movie. Now, as I've talked about before, I'm not really a fan of horror movies. I do have to acknowledge that horror movies do give an interesting lens for any storyteller to tell a story in. You can tell stories about loss, about pain, about addiction, all of these same tropes that you could normally throw into a drama. You could throw into a horror movie just as easily and they'll work if not as well in some ways they'll work even better so when i went to go see the movie that i'm talking about today which is talk to me i did not know what it was about i knew the same things that the trailers had told everybody it was a hand people would grab it and in some way, shape, or form, they'd be dealing with something that was supernatural. And after they dealt with the supernatural, crazy stuff would happen. That's all I knew. So, after seeing the movie, all I could say is that I am so happy that I went in there without as much information. So that way I could just look at this movie as it was and not look at it through any kind of preconceived notions of what this movie should be. So let's go into this review of 
talk to me. So this movie revolves around a couple of friends in Australia, which I did not know this movie was taking place in a different country. So when I saw that it was Australia and you get that very clear, if not within uh, the first 20 minutes of the movie, they show kangaroos. So, yeah, you think kangaroo, you think Australia. It was very interesting to see horror movies that are not placed in the U.S., especially coming from a person who is in the U.S., simply because you can see the different kinds of cultural interactions that happen outside of your given country. So I always appreciate seeing movies from outside instead of movies from within. That's mainly because I'm from the U.S., so I get to see a lot of movies easier that come from the U.S. than I do from outside the country. I remember growing up, it used to be a lot harder to get foreign films and to see them, even for it to be very accessible. Even when you're in a major city like New York or Los Angeles, it was still a little difficult when I was growing up to get foreign films. Now it's become much easier. So it's not the same level as it was before. But you still have that when it comes to the movie theater. It's a lot harder for a international movie to break into the box office here than it is for a movie from here to break into the American box office. So I know this was really directed and funded by uh, A24, but I really appreciated seeing a movie set outside the U.S. with a group of teenagers that still have teenager tropes in their own way, but I was able to remove a lot of my preconceived notions because these are not teenagers that are from the country that I'm used to. These are teenagers from a completely separate country, so they are going to have different cultural references and understandings than me, which is great. So I really did not know where the teenagers were going to go from a culture standpoint, only from a logic standpoint, which I really, really loved. Now, going into this movie, the leads in this movie, you have uh, Sophia Wilde. She plays Mia. You have Alexandra Jensen, who plays Jade. Joe Bird that plays Riley. Those three are really the heart of this movie. And I really, really liked all three of them. Riley, who was the youngest child, I liked his interaction with both his older sister, Jade, as well as with his semi-crush, I guess you could say. Oh, well, it was a full-blown crush in Mia. I like that they all had this familiarity where you felt like they'd known each other for years. You felt that this, these were people with backstories around each other. So much so that if, I feel like if I had actually met these characters in real life, there would be that inherent understanding between friends groups, especially ones that known each other for years where there would be inside jokes or glances, things that 
if you were on the outside looking in, you would know that you were missing out on something. So they all came across as great in terms of I believed the friendships, I believed the kids, and I believed the parents as well. There was not a single person that I didn't believe in this movie in terms of your character is making rational decisions according to your character's mindset and age. So I I absolutely love that. You don't get that a lot in horror movies, even now. So mwah, chef's kiss in regards to that. Second thing I loved about this movie, this movie was an absolutely amazing depiction of people who are going through, in my mind, a couple things. They had depictions of people who were going through loss. They had depictions of people who were going through pain and depression. And they also had depictions of people who were going through addiction and just trying to escape. So when we talk about Mia, she's the one that's going through all of these things throughout the movie where in the beginning of the movie you learn her mom died she is trying to escape this situation where the person that she loved is no longer with us and she acknowledges she knows that they've passed but it still hurts and throughout the movie they do a great job of showing her relationship with her mother and how important her mother was to her. Also, you see how much loss is impacting all of her decisions. There are several times in this movie where people make decisions based not off the pain of losing somebody, just off the idea of, I don't want to lose this person. You see that with Jade in regards to her making decisions with her boyfriend. You see that to Mia in regards to certain decisions that she makes that escalate situations, which you can tell from an outside perspective looking in, this is a very bad decision. You shouldn't be making this decision. You should simply walk away. However, from a character perspective, when you put yourself in their shoes at that moment, in that place and time, you never doubt that they are not making honest choices based off of what they are feeling and the information that they know, what they see with their eyes, even if their eyes deceive them, it all informs in on itself, which makes a really solid movie in terms of the storytelling and the acting. The acting is great. I'm a big fan that you can have a great script with decent actors, but if you have great actors with a bad script, they look bad. In this case, these feel equal. The script feels solid and sure of itself in the way that it tells the story. The camera work feels seamless in the way that it pushes in on what people see from the outside looking in. Also, the 
actors are acting so, so good. It's really just not a masterclass because there are some problems. I think it just feels from beginning to end honest. I did not doubt why this person made that choice, even when I vehemently disagreed with the choice that they made. So I, I cannot say enough, and I'm probably going to wax quixotic on it more, but I can't say enough how good this is. The third thing that I really want to talk about that is my absolute good in this movie, the supernatural side in this movie is not like any depiction that I've seen recently. And I think the reason is because when you see the supernatural, it changes, which is great, honestly. It can be so multifaceted. It can be sad. It could be excited. It can be a little, um, a little bit horny, which when you see the scene, you, you know what I mean. And it all makes sense in regards to the story. But what I mostly love is how manipulative this world is and it's manipulative in the best way it's not manipulative in that oh it manipulates them and they don't and then once they find out they're manipulated they're really really sad and angry and they're lashing out at the supernatural they do the inception method of manipulation, which I absolutely love. They don't manipulate you from the outside looking in. They manipulate you from the inside looking out. What I mean by that is this is some graduate level stuff here in regards to the story as it's being told. There's one moment in the about the third act of the movie, I would say the end of the second act, the beginning of the third and final act of this movie, that they manipulate the main character, Mia, so well that when she finally does the bad thing, she truly doesn't believe she's doing the bad thing. I wish I could go into it more because it's so interesting and I want I want to pick it apart so much all I can say is it's done so well that you you just understand why she makes all the next why she makes every single other choice that she makes you completely understand why she does it it even when you're like, no, don't do it. Please don't do it. It doesn't make any sense. You're like, no, that's the problem. It makes perfect sense. If you were in her shoes, odds are you'd make the same decisions that she made towards the end. And that's the truly scary part. It's not just doing something against your will. That's the scariest thing in regards to the supernatural and it's not dying that's necessarily the scariest thing even though death is very scary 
the thing that's even scarier than all of that is when you are manipulated to do the wrong thing and you truly think that you are doing the right thing. It's like having a spy that thinks they're spying for the good guys, even though they're spying for the bad guys, which is a perfect description. It's one of the better episodes from a USA show called Burn Notice, where in order to get information from a consulate, they turned a guy. And the way they turned him wasn't by paying him off or making him believe that he was doing it for the enemy. They did it by making him believe that he was doing this for his country. Because of that, even though he was doing the wrong thing, he believed in his heart of hearts that he was doing the right thing. So he tried even harder. And that's what happens in this movie. So to the, to the evil ghost in this, that is some graduate level work. Like when I say that's some graduate level work, I mean Freddy Krueger could learn a thing or two from you. And the amount of manipulation that you showed in this movie was just above and beyond what I was expecting. I cannot say enough how much I enjoyed it. Now, this movie doesn't have doesn't bat a thousand. There are some some small problems. Uh, one of the small problems are that, you know, dumb kids are dumb. That that is the small problem for me. It's not really a problem. It's just an annoying thing where you say, oh, well, they're teenagers. Of course, they're going to make dumb decisions. I'm still going to say, even though it is set in Australia and these are not American teenagers, that these are Australian teenagers, I'm going to hold them to the same, if not a higher standard. In fact, I'm just going to hold them to the same standard. Why, if you know you're dealing with the supernatural, do you deal with the supernatural? You've seen enough movies. You've seen enough records and everything like that to know, hey, this is not good. And when bad things start happening, they still do it. They still do it. It's just not smart. It's at a certain point, it transforms from being not smart to willfully ignorant, which always annoys me no matter the movie. So that is one clear downside for me now i did praise the uh camera work and i did love that i also love the practical effects they have a bunch of them in this movie one thing i didn't like though there was one person who i thought they did a little dirty and that was mia's dad honestly I understood why they made the decisions that they made with this character. It was very in keeping with the story. Problem is, they made him a little bit more one-dimensional than I would have liked. 
I, I wish that he would have gotten a little bit more screen time to flesh out his character. But, hey, that's... If the biggest gripe I can make with your movie is that it is it doesn't flesh out one character enough then you know what that's that is a that's a good problem to have in my book so what's my final summary slash review of this movie honestly if there's one thing i would say it's that the supernatural world should have like a supernatural university and these guys the ghosts in this world for talk to me should be teaching that at a graduate level they are amazing and through those ghosts they tell such an interesting story that deals with depression that deals with some really dark themes honestly and there is a trigger warning for this movie if you are triggered in any way by suicide then you you really should not watch this movie because you will you're going to go through some stuff in regards to this this is not for the faint of heart this is a hard r movie where there will be gore and blood if you can handle that you're going to get an amazing story about pain, about loss, about friendship. Also, about what you think is happening versus what's actually happening. And how sometimes when we go through bad situations, it skews our entire worldview and... Honestly, this movie taught me anything. It's that we need to hold on more to the people we care about, not less. We need to make sure we're there for people and not push them away and try and deal with everything by ourselves. Because sometimes dealing with it by yourself is going to have some tragic, tragic results. So I was originally going to give this movie a high home-cooked meal. Honestly, I talked myself into a low, fine dining. This is an excellent movie. You should absolutely go out and see it. Support this A24 movie. Because the thing about A24 is this. I've yet to see a bad A24 movie. I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm just saying I haven't seen it yet. So, what what do you guys think about this movie? Tell me... Whether you liked it, whether you hated it, whether you disagree with my review entirely, I would love to hear your thoughts and either leave a comment or send an email. Normally, when we talk about video game movies, as in movies that are based off of a video game, we're talking about things like Super Mario Brothers or Sonic, where we are taking this character this franchise and we're putting it either in a version of our world or we're making it into its own world and we are just playing out that game as is we're putting ourselves in that game so that way we can remember our nostalgia of playing that game however 
with the movie that we're talking about today, which is Gran Turismo, we're talking about something else entirely. We're talking about a movie that's based off of a true story that is also heavily tied into a video game, which honestly is the first time we've seen something like this happen. And I'm not talking about a movie where it's based off of the creation of the game. This is a movie that's based off of a person who is in fact playing the game and achieve something also outside of the game, which is really interesting in its scope. So let's see if Gran Turismo can actually hold up to that ideal or if it needs to be reset just like I do when I'm playing Gran Turismo. Let's jump into it. So in this movie, they start out and they let you know about the video game if you've never played Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo is a driving simulator for the PlayStation. And it's a very good driving simulator for the PlayStation. If anybody has played Gran Turismo or as most people know it, GT. GT is a game where you can play with a lot of different cars. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. We're talking hundreds of cars that are all painstakingly put into the game and they are recreated to how they would actually drive in real life. So if you're driving a car that can't get over 150, you're not going to get over 150 unless you have some very favorable conditions. And if you are, you're probably not going to be able to control it. It's a game where it rewards skill and it relies on you to make those decisions in the game and control your character which really is your car in the game. So this entire movie is based off of a concept called the GT Academy, which came out. And that is a academy where they take some of the top Gran Turismo players and try and turn them into professional race car drivers. So in the beginning of the movie, we're getting the pitch towards that as to why uh, Nissan or Nissan would be even interested in the program when they bring up the fact that 80 million people play Gran Turismo worldwide, which is a large number of people, no matter how you slice it. And to put them in those shoes, imagine if even 10% of those bought Nissans. Well, that's a lot of profit for any auto maker so you get this product and you get this program put in place and then you send it out into the world also running about the same time is the story of a character jan martinborough or jean martinborough he 
is a GT player, and he's actually really, really good at it. In fact, he's one of the best in Europe when playing the game. And his whole deal is being a professional race car driver. That's what he wants to do. He said, I want to do it since I was five. He has very few people, though, that believe in him. His mom is trying to get him to do something realistic. Maybe become a mechanic so that way you can build your way up. His dad, who's played by Jaiman Hansu, is like, you're never going to be anything. You're not good enough. You're a bum. Um, he's, that's not exactly what he's saying. That's close, though. It's, it's very, very close. He does not believe that his son is going to be able to become a professional race car driver simply because, not about his skill in terms of driving, it's about the money that it's going to require in regards to driving, which is a real thing to bring up. Race car driving is very expensive. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars if not a couple million dollars in order to break into even the low end of the gt circuit or any kind of racing circuit so it's a lot to ask somebody to do but the thing is jean finds out that the gt academy is in fact real he needs to play his way in and because john he is the gran turismo player and as we see in the trailers he's able to play his way in and then it's all about him earning his spot getting in an actual race car learning to race and then showing proving to the entire racing world that a person that mainly started playing simulators playing race cars on a console can do the extraordinary and can become an actual race car driver. So let's let's jump into the things I liked about this movie. The acting was okay. Uh, Archie Madawak or Madkowi. Uh, I'm sorry if I butchered the name. He plays Jean. He's actually pretty good. He comes across as a teen that is determined. He isn't a whiny teen. He isn't like emo, like nobody ever believed in me, which I also really liked. This is a guy that's like, yeah, I know people don't believe in me. I believe in me. And that's what I want to do. I also like that at no point, even when he's mad with his dad, at no point is he like, Hey, get out of my life. You're nothing. It seems like there is still mutual respect and love between the two of them. I think some people might look at this movie and they might say, oh, he should have thrown his dad to the curb. He should have thrown Jaiman Hansu's character to the curb. I think he knows that while his dad is definitely not believing in his dreams, I think he also understands why his father is doing the things he's doing. He's not okay with it. He's definitely going to keep pushing and keep believing in himself. I just think, hey, he is absolutely going to push forward in this. You also have David Harbour in this movie. He plays uh, John's tu trainer and tutor. 
I thought David Harbour, of course, he's going to come in there. He's playing the gruff kind of pseudo father figure to Jean. That's obviously going to be good. David Harbour is David Harbour. He knows what he's doing. He's not doing anything extraordinary in there, but he's throwing in a solid performance. You also have Orlando Bloom coming in here. He plays the motorsport marketing executive who helped make the GT Academy. He's based off the actual founder of GT Academy, who is uh, Darren Cox. Now, Orlando Bloom, this is an interesting role because I've never really seen him in a role where he's somebody who is not really likable. Mostly he plays characters that are supposed to be like, this character is likable. This character is a person you'd root for. And with Danny Moore, he's not a bad guy. He is also a guy that's like, listen, it's not that I don't want you to be successful. It's that I'm thinking past you. So if I need to cut you, I can cut you. That's that's fine. I'll do that. Now, I liked the three's chemistry in this movie. I think the movie is at its best when it's just those three people interacting. And while you have some good actors and actresses in here, you have some good people coming in and out of this movie. I do believe they are when the movie is revolving around them. That is when the movie is at its best. Also, I'll give a big props to the movie based on a true story, as I've talked about before, is a very loose term. It's a very loose term. What that means is the absolute basics of the story are right and everything else about the story is wrong. So there's actually a little bit more truthful than I thought. I would say it's like 40% is truthful instead of like the usual 20 or 10%, which I actually really enjoyed that there was a good amount of stuff that was real. Obviously, in real life, John wasn't the first person to graduate from GT Academy. There were a couple of other people. It was a program going on for a couple of years. In this movie, they make it that he's the first, where he wasn't. That's neither here nor there. Also, there is an event that happens in this movie that is a tragic event and i looked it up to see did this actually happen and it did and i was very very shocked by that that they included that so i gotta get props to the movie for making it very tasteful making it not that it was exploitive but more just yes this actually happened I also got to give props to the actual person that this is based off of, John Mardenborough. I mean, he he could have said no and they could have glossed over this event, just like they did in movies like A Beautiful Mind, you know, where they gloss over certain events of the main figure's life. And they really didn't. They kept to it. They said, hey, this happened. We are going to include that. So I was very, very impressed that they even went that far. So I'll give a big props to the script, 
writers to Jean and to the director for handling it in not a subdued way, handling it with a certain amount of grace that the action needed. And I'll let you guys watch the movie in order to really go into it. The visuals were really good. The cinematography on it is solid. I really like that. Also, they have this very good effect in the movie where, especially in the races, what they start to do is with Jean's car, they put a little active leaderboard on it so that way they could just show a clip and you could say, oh, he's in fourth. Oh, he's in fifth. Oh, he's in sixth. Whenever it came up, I actually thought it was really well done. So that way they didn't need to explain how much that he fell behind. They could just show it as a visual counter. I thought it was really nice and I thought it was a really good callback to the actual game Gran Turismo. Because that is something that you do see in Gran Turismo where you have the person's number and also where their leader spot is so that way you don't need to glance off and see where their leaderboard spot is so i give big props to the game for that and to the movie i mean this movie also had a very interesting effect where they would surround the player especially when they were playing the game as if they were actually in the car just to show how locked and dialed in they were now i think it was a little bit impressive i thought it was actually pretty impressive i will say that i saw this movie on a screen x so what's a screen x screen x is where you see your regular movie just like you would on a movie screen however certain scenes are also going to be expanded onto the side walls of your movie theater. So that way you're essentially watching like a 270 inch screen where the sides are stretched out and where certain scenes you feel like, Hey, I'm, I'm in the car with this person essentially. So I'll give it the benefit of a doubt. I will say I thought those scenes were well done. Now, the bad thing is this movie was directed by uh, Neil Blomkamp. Now, Neil Blomkamp is a good director. I really like his stuff. The thing I will say about Neil Blomkamp is sometimes he can fall in love with a particular effect a little bit too much. Sometimes less is in fact more. So I feel like the CGI, when it was done in small amounts, it was actually really good. When they started to overuse it, especially in the third act, it felt way too much. Like there's this one scene where they have this moment where they deconstruct everything about the car just to show our main lead in the car. And then they reconstruct the car again. And then they have them continue the race. And I'm just like, you could have just zoomed in and we could have just seen into the car and seen through his eyes. And that probably would have been a better effect overall than the huge deconstruction of everything 
and then reconstructing everything. So that is my, you know, slight gripe with the movie. Also, while I thought they handled certain moments well, I did think the script was bare bones. Like, at best, this was, it was good enough to get into the theaters. This isn't anything you're going to write home about or remember. This is a racing movie, not a great story. So you're going to remember this movie because of the things that are done in the actual car. You're not going to remember this movie because of anything they actually were talking about. You'll remember this movie more for the music and the racing than you will anything these characters have said. Because none of it's memorable. None of it actually matters, honestly, in terms of the story. So, my final bit of review is this. It is a decent story with slightly overdone CGI. However, this movie does have really good driving scenes. This movie is at its best when you are in the car, when John is in the car and they are driving. That's when this movie is at its best. And thankfully, that is a lot of this movie. So because they don't really focus on everything else and because everything is just an excuse to get to the driving, which is the most interesting thing about this movie, what I will say is this is a realistic driving movie so if you're expecting fast and the furious you're going to be out of luck but if you're expecting something kind of like a days of thunder then you already know what you're getting into and i think you're gonna have a pretty good time it's a low home cooked meal it just squeaks over by a half second into the hey go watch it in theaters category so what do you guys think? Let me know. Leave a comment. Send an email. Or let me know what was your favorite car that was featured in this movie. I'd be really interested to hear that because I'm not a big car guy. But I'm sure that any person who is actually a car guy has a favorite car in this movie. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to reach out to me, you can... Find me in several places. You can contact me on Twitter at Two Sides Coin. You can find us on Instagram at Two Sides of a Coin. That's T W O S I D E Z of a Coin, all one word. You can email us at Two Sides Podcast at gmail.com. And you can listen to the podcast on Podbean, on Spotify, and also on Apple Podcasts. So. We hope to really hear from you guys. I love to hear and discuss anything you guys want to talk about. And we'll talk to you later.